They say the children are our future, and what could be more important than guiding that future? Today I'm joined by a man who has dedicated his lives through martial arts and through discipline, making the next generation, well, better than my generation was. Anyway, we're gonna hit that music and we are gonna get started. Joining me today is a certified pediatric ninja specialist. It is a sensei, a coach. He is a man who shapes the hearts and minds of children in a way that parents approve of. It's Tim Flynn. Tim, how are you doing today? Good, Bruce. Thank you for having me here. Well, thank you for being here with me. And once again, we are here at the Mecca, Eric the Trainer's Gym, where once again, he has thrown me somebody who was a little bit surprised that he was going to be doing this. But Tim, I do appreciate that you're coming on my podcast. So let's talk about what you do, or specifically before we talk about what you do, let's talk about why you do it. How did you get involved in martial arts to begin with? What guided you towards this path? When I was younger, I saw the Karate Kid movies and I found a relation with Daniel. Like I felt like I was like Daniel. I was, my Boy. family was poor. Yeah, my family was poor. I was bullied. I had no friends. My family constantly moved around a lot through my kindergarten years to about seventh grade. In seventh grade, we settled in Mankato. And then I was still, you know, the bully never stopped because when you're a tall, skinny kid um, with the worst hand-me-down clothes you can possibly get. You basically um, look like a coat rack. Yeah, you stand out. And people aren't attracted to that. I had zero confidence. I just didn't know, I just didn't know how to make friends because starting in second grade, third grade, you were bullied so much, you, all, you already knew that no one likes you. And then how do you come back from that? And that stays with you too. It does. And sometimes it still affects me until, you know, it affects me today as well too. It's like, you know, when, 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 I'm, here at the, when I'm here at Eric's gym, it's like, Eric tells me, be yourself. It's like, I don't, sometimes I don't know, I don't know who myself is yet. <laughs> so it's, it's tough. Yeah, how, be yourself. Okay, um, that's, I'm going to go walk into a corner try to scrunch down as small as humanly possible and ideally not make eye contact. You were bullied, you were tall, and people don't realize how, just like when somebody is overly heavy or really short, anything that makes you stand out excessively is a target and people just go at you because, well, kids in their native environment are wonderful creatures. Yes. So you went to take karate and, and did, was there a particular style that attracted you? And also another question is, how did your family react or support or even acknowledge your bullying? Did they? Were they even aware? I don't know if my parents were aware of my bullying. They had their own problems. They would argue a lot at night about finances as well, too. I remember the conversation hearing about we're being evicted in 30 days. That was back. I can remember that it was in Litchfield. That was like third grade. I can still remember that conversation. My mom telling me that we're getting kicked out of this home in 30 days. We got to move somewhere. I just kept my problems to myself. That's how I dealt with it. And what's weird is that the only time I ever found peace in my life was I was when I was in bed sleeping because that was a point where I had no, I heard no fighting, I heard no arguing, and nobody was picking on me. It's such a, such a weird feeling. But the bedtime was the most peaceful time because you had that time to relax. But my parents did look into martial arts just kind of for fun. And my mom was totally against martial arts. All she saw was fighting, people hitting each other. And I remember the conversation on the way back home, my mom was arguing with my dad, like, no, my son's not gonna 
learn martial arts and hit people. And that was pretty much the end of that whole idea until I was 14 years old. I had a paper route and I was able to pay for martial arts myself. What style did you choose to go into? It was a mix. It was Taekwondo karate. Uh, we did the ITF Taekwondo forms. Um, was, I think they, he gave the term called American karate. Basically what you see in movies. Yeah. A lot more like the sport competition of karate. So all the cool, fancy stuff and the kicks. The fun katas. And yeah, the only traditional part about that school was the forms, but the rest of it wasn't very traditional, which I liked, though. It was fun because it gave me a sport like, OK, now maybe I'm just as a sport now. Did you get into competition? Yes, I did. How'd you do? I was awesome. I was good at competition. And that's what was weird is that's when my confidence. I love how you snapped that out. I was like, I was yeah, good. I was good at it. When I won my first tournament, I was a green belt, and I was, think I was in ninth grade. I already told myself in my head that I was going to lose this tournament because I'm a loser. That's who I was back in high school. Mm-hmm. And also, I was a loser. I did my forms, won first place. I was like, wow. So I did my first sparring match. And before I even did this tournament, I had to rewatch Karate Kid Part 1 for more, for more inspiration, just to, just to get kind of hyped up about it. But my first uh, sparring match, there's, uh, I think we had like 10 kids in our group. So I had about five matches and I made it to second place. So I was pretty stoked about that, that I beat three people and I didn't just beat them. I pummeled them. That's a strong first showing. That is a strong first showing. I was like, wow, I'm actually good at something. And I just stuck with that. But the thing was, I still got bullied in school, though, because I, you know, we didn't show off. You know, that was kind of no thing. Did you ever manage to get past the bullying or was the bullying just throughout your entire school life? It it didn't really stop until 12th grade when we had this uh, gym class it was called Life Skills. And a friend of mine, that, I think his name was Robert, uh, me and him did a Taekwondo presentation. So we broke boards and me and him sparred. Robert, I guess he was okay at sparring, but I was better than him. It made the kids in my class respect me more. And then I haven't heard much after that. In fact, one of the kids who used to bully me congratulated me on a good, on a, on a good demonstration. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Out of curiosity, um, and I ask this because I myself had been a shy person. As a shy person, did you find that it affected your ability to talk to girls? Did you have any ability to talk to girls? Man, yeah, I had talked to girls online. <laughs> that's how I met my wife that I'm currently with right now. Was she your first girlfriend? No, my third actually. I have to remember that. My first girlfriend, I don't even know how we, we met at some kind of, we were like making like a TV commercial for a not-for-profit. It was about drunk driving and I met her, but we dated, well, I was like in ninth grade as well, ninth or 10th grade. And that lasted for like three months because she lived like 20 miles away and we both didn't drive. So, I mean, I think we, we, we went on three dates and that was it. Uh, the second girl I met through a family friend but I don't even remember who that was. And then my recent one is Maria, who's my wife now. Um, how I met her is back in the day we had Yahoo personals. I'm sitting in my, in my high school class. I was, a, I was a senior. Like, well, what's Yahoo personals about? And I click on it and you got to pick your age and then pick who you want to see. And I remember um, this, this said like 16 year old female looking for a prom date. I'm like, I'm looking for a prom date too. So I'm going to click on that. So I clicked on that, me and this other girl, we chatted, we met. She invited me to her school dance, like not the prom, her school dance. Well, you got an audition. Yeah, but I failed the audition. She, um, <laughs> she like just took off and left. 
left me with her friends. And that's, at the dance. At the dance. And it left me with her friends, and that's how I met Mario. And then now we're married, you know, how many years later? Like over 20-some years, 30 years later. Hey Amen. It worked out very well. But it, you want to talk about something that, like, really hit a shy guy in a way he doesn't need to be hit. Yeah. yeah right. Welcome to the school dance. Uh, not you. I'm going to go away. And... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she literally just took off. Oh, that. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah. You were into martial arts. You graduated high school. You didn't immediately go into martial arts as a vocation, though. No. So martial arts is more like my high school type of sport. That's what it turned out to be. And I, and I did teaching there, too. Um, after I couldn't afford my paper, after I couldn't do my paper out because it's in the butt. I was an assistant instructor I, I, or junior instructor, they would call it. And I had free lessons and I just had to help teach. So you can't do that anymore. It's, I think it's, it's illegal. But back in the 90s, that's called free labor. But it's still an awesome way. You effectively were a martial arts intern. I mean, those are a lot of skills that clearly were the seeds of the skills that serve you very well now. Yeah. Yeah. So after high school, I went into the healthcare field. I don't know. I always liked working with people and for being a shy guy. Always caring. Always caring. And that's just what I like to do. So my girlfriend at the time, my, my wife now, uh, she got me into nursing. I worked at a nursing home. You must have been popular with the residents. You just like, you just got this big, friendly, likable face. I could see all the old ladies pinching your cheeks. No, honestly, I was a, I think I was a horrible nurse aide because when I gave them my reference, they, they at my new nursing home job, they didn't like me for some reason. I don't know. But it was my first time actually trying to take care of like your grandma. I didn't know what to do, but they, but they took me through nursing school like nurse aid classes, I got all that done. And my first nursing home job wasn't the best because I was criticized a lot. Well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Or you forgot they didn't to, try to help you. They just let you know. You just that get yelled just... at and you're just expected to know things. So very healthy work environment. But I stuck with it until I got into it's, it was called Emmanuel St. Joseph's Hospital. Now it's called Mayo Clinic um, in Mankato. I worked on the floor as a nurse aide. I was a EKG monitor technician for a couple of years, worked in the ICU as a, as a technician. And then I really found my love in the endoscopy lab because the endoscopy lab is where we got taken on live emergent cases. So I did that for about seven years. You know, we were saving lives. I remember this one time we had a guy on the x-ray table that was literally dying. And I was working with one doctor, his name was Dr. Lee. And we had to do a procedure called an ERCP. We had to go down his throat. We had to get to his liver. He had uh, some kind of blockage. We had, so his job is to hold the scope in place. My job is to take the guide wire and keep tapping it, looking under uh, floral or called x-ray, trying to find that bile duct. So we have this little tiny, like, I don't know, little tiny wire where we have put in this bile duct. So we got the wire in there, got the catheter put in there and saved his life. But he was literally like, we didn't give him sedation because if we gave him sedation, he probably wouldn't have made it. But, but stuff like that, I wasn't happy about. It's like, it, it didn't make my life any better. Like, I didn't like to, feel better about it. I'd like to interrupt and say a few words about this man. He's fantastic. He's one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. He's very modest. He's from a small place in Minnesota, so he's not necessarily an L.A. Grooves, groovy <laughs> guy. But he's got the biggest heart. You've heard of Mother Teresa. If there was a Father Teresa, this would be the person. He dedicates his life to helping children, and I am so proud and honored to call him my friend. Thanks, Eric. And for the people who are just listening and not seeing this live, 
That is the unpaid cameo of Eric the Trainer. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Eric the Trainer, and I endorse this man. <laughs> awesome. Oh, you chose the wrong time. Anyway. Yeah, that was great. Yes. Uh, so what were we talking about? We were talking about... A guy at the x-ray like, table. You, you were, like, somewhere in a story of where... Yeah. You were trying to find, like, the blocked lymph node or something. Like, it was life or yeah, death. Yeah, it was a blocked uh, bile duct. So we got that catheter put in place, and we saved the guy's life. But um, that still didn't fulfill me. You just weren't... This wasn't what you... You, you could tell yeah. this... You're helping lives, you're saving lives, but this wasn't the way you were meant to do it. It's, it, I mean, it's cool, but it wasn't like, you know. I'm sure the guy on the table thought so. Yeah, I'm sure he thought it was great. But doing this every single day in my life, I didn't feel the same. So what did you do? So here, you're working this job. Um, you don't occur to me to be the kind of person to have let this weigh on you. Because yeah. you do give off a base level of positivity. Yeah. Your, your base level of running is feels optimistic to me. Yeah. So I would see you being unsatisfied, but I wouldn't see you going at home and throwing dishes against the wall and drinking <laughs> yourself no. into the bottom of a black pit. I would see you being like, well, I don't feel this. No. What can I do? It was just, I hadn't, I feel, I felt like I was married to the job, which is kind of funny because I'm still married to my job today, but, but I control it. I control the marriage. It's a happy marriage. Yeah. Just because you're married to the job doesn't mean it's yeah. a happy marriage to that job. But there's weeks where you work like 50, 60 hours some weeks because if you're on call and we're the only um, GI team in the southern Minnesota area besides Rochester, you got to stay. You were dissatisfied. You weren't. You, were, you weren't happy. How did the, you know what? There's this thing in my life that I love. I think I could do that. Instead of this thing, which is a good thing, but it's not what was supposed to be my thing. I'll tell you exactly how that happened. I was at work and the person who was on call that day didn't show up. I got forced to stay at work late and I had plans. I had to take the call because it was my turn. And I was, the, I was like, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. I called up my, my friend who owns a martial arts school up in Plymouth. I said, hey, man, I'm going to start my own martial arts school. Got any ideas? Well, cool. He clearly had at least one idea. Yeah. Spit it out. What was the idea? So his idea, um, I don't know exactly what he said, but he just supported it. And so what I did is figure out how can I start a small school or actually I wasn't even thinking as a school, like as a club. Um, and see where it goes. So I actually went to my church and rented out like an old it was that old Catholic school. I have, I rented out the second floor um, like classroom. Whole, oh, a classroom. A not classroom. Like it looks like a it looks like a schoolroom from back in the eighties. Um, chalkboard desks. It was like six hundred square feet. And I started my business out of there, like one year. So, question: How did how did the conversation go with the wife? No, honestly, she may have said something, but I didn't listen to her. I don't. I honestly don't remember how that went. I just said. I'm going to open my own martial arts school. I'm just going to do it. Because when I first opened it up, I didn't quit my job on the spot. Okay. I, I, I ran it. I ran it um, part time, like three days a week. And what I had to do is I had to take my call days and I had to make a deal with my, with my other endoscopy techs. Like, hey, I can't be on call this night, but I'll do like all these Fridays and weekends if I had to, to pick up for backup. And they agreed to it because 
you know, they don't want to do it. Right. Um, but I knew you like, obligated yourself to the worst time to be on call. Yeah. I knew that if I can just get a taste of this, see if I really want to do it, I can go full blown into it and just take the jump, uh, take the leap of faith. If it takes off great. If it fails, well, I go back to work at the hospital again. So you're taking your leap of faith on the second floor of your Catholic school in a room that is not being used that they've rented out to you or given to you. There's a chalkboard, which is kind of useful to put lessons on, lay in your mats and you start advertising. How long did it take you to get a little bit of a following going? And actually, another question for you is what did you market to to begin with? Because as Eric presented you to me, you are training children not only with martial arts, but also effectively a teacher of morals as well. But I'm fairly sure when you first rented that room, that wasn't where you were at. I'm sure there was sort of like, Let's see how we can let's see what we can make happen. Yeah, I just want to grow my back then. I call it my Taekwondo school. The school is called Kato Karate, but you know, but, was the, but we I was teaching traditional Taekwondo slash sport karate. Right. Um, Most but, people in your town were not going to know any differences. It was no, just and, punchy. Yeah, karate is just a generic name for open hand. I mean, wrestling can be called karate if you want. Were you specifically targeting to kids or did you have like a kid's class, an adult's class? Just get in the door for the love yeah, of God, I please. Yeah, I took pretty much four-year-olds on up. So I had a four to six-year-old class, seven through a uh, 14-year-old class, and a adult class, 15 to adults. In your estimation, when you first started to when you would have considered yourself successful, how long did that take you? I didn't consider myself successful probably, honestly, until... I joined Skills Worldwide and I got good coaching. Um, that only happened like two years ago. I struggled the first three to four years, but I kept taking leaps of faith. Like, okay. So actually, that's a good point <laughs> because I'm t- like, you, this could have happened to you 10 years ago, 20 yeah. years ago, two years ago. When did you go, okay, I'm going to open up my dojo. Hey, I see you've got a room for rent. When, what year was that? When I opened my, up my first school, my, yeah. my first, that was 2016. 2016. Yep. So we are talking about a six-year period of time for this yeah. journey. Okay, that puts things in perspective. Yep. So for your first two years. Well, my first year I was in that school, I got like 30 students. In a 600-square-foot room, you get 10 kids in there, 10 adults. It's grand. Yeah. I had a friend. He, was, um, he had his own business fitness coaching. Obviously, I wasn't in the fitness business per se, but Jason also said, hey, if your dreams is to get 100 students, um, that's like 100 students. 100 students is a baseline in a, in, a, in a martial arts school. That's your goal. That's where you break even and now can make a No, not where you break even. That's just um, where people think you're successful, which is not true anymore. But back then, that's what I thought. And that's kind of, I think, what he thought. To get 100 students, that's where you need to be. Um, plus, plus, my price point at that time, that's where I needed to be, I guess, anyways. But I um, signed a commercial lease on a, on a space where I didn't even make enough money that month to even afford to pay it. So I, I took that guy's advice for marketing wise. Like, you know, you got to get a, a, a sign outside. I can't remember what these signs are called, but when you drive by, you see like those little signs. They just pop up and they put letters on it. Um, I don't freak Like out. an actual LED sign that is no, graphic. No, not an LED sign. It was one of those where you, where you stick the letters in. Like, you know, um, Oh, where you can change them and... Yeah, you don't see them much anymore. The placards with the, the plastic yeah. things you can... So I, I threw one of those out, and my special was first month for $19 for uniform. 
Right. Um, the standard. At- yeah. And I was in a heavy trafficked area and actually that gamble worked out because if it didn't work out, there's always bankruptcy. You know, I thought to myself, there's always bankruptcy. But I took that leap of faith, like, you know what? If it doesn't work out, I'll go back and work at the hospital. But so by having the placard, it was very much like an arrow pointed right to your door. Yeah. So I need to be someplace more visible because in that Catholic school, I was in a neighborhood and no one, you you couldn't find me unless you knew where Holy Rosary Catholic School was. You know, I, I have a friend who opened up a CrossFit gym and he got his box off of a main road, but it was like off a road off the main road yeah. and a little industrial thing. And while he would able to get some people in, he couldn't get that many people in because you just couldn't walk by it and you just couldn't find it. And that is life or death for any kind of physical training business that isn't private. Once it's at a public degree and you need foot traffic, the foot traffic needs to not have to find you. Yeah. And yeah, so being in that school wasn't going to help. No. Good kickoff, but because the only people who knew I was there was the people who lived there, and um, and I did, and I did get a few students from there. I'm not gonna lie, and it was students, the start. Yeah, and the students I got there, um, some of them were like my favorite students that I, that I can still remember to this day. Like I wish they were still in my school because I loved them so much. Um, but you rented a new place. Yep. So when you moved into this store, now as Eric told the story, you began getting successful, but you really began focusing on kids. How did that? Did that happen organically or did you make the conscious decision that, hey, the rabble youth of my town really could use a little focusing? How did it how did it become? I guess the adults in my area, all they want to learn is MMA, mixed martial arts. And I didn't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about MMA. So I wasn't going to go buy a program and play the game like, hey, I had no MMA. I wasn't going to do that. So I just stuck to what I know. And I, so I got more kids, but not a lot of adults. I mean, I would get some of their parents, but that was about it as far as adults. But. So it was like a natural weeding out by the fact that you didn't follow, you didn't dive into the trend and you stuck traditional. It ended up being more of uh, well, here's where the kids can go to play. Off you go while the adults went and did their month or two at the MMA gym before giving it up. When I would get the adults calling to inquire, yeah, do you guys do this? I'm like, uh, no. Um, okay, so I wasn't going to pretend something that I wasn't. So I just got kids organically. When did you realize that you were becoming more than just their karate coach, that you were somebody who was instilling um, morals and ideas of respect, honor? I know that is part of the martial yeah. arts tradition, but I've gone to a bunch of different martial arts dojos myself, and I didn't really walk away with any of that from most of them. Yeah, that just came in time with teaching, but how I knew I was starting to make an impact on kids this always gets me emotional. Lexi. Lexi is like my star student. She was bullied in Arizona. So you really relate to her. Yeah, I do. I mean, I love that kid. I mean. By the way, feel free to just, <laughs> like, you don't, yeah, don't yeah. do not feel bad about but this. She was, um, I think she was 12 years old when she came to me. I was still in Holy Rosary School. And her mom said, you know, she's been bullied so much that she can't go back to school anymore. And I felt, felt for her. We had to put her, we had to put a 12-year-old kid in a four-year-old class just to get her comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got her comfortable enough, she came into her normal class. She made small progressions all the way up. She, she got her black belt, and then she, like most kids do, they quit when they get black belts these days. Of course. But, um, um, but, you know, I knew that what I was doing, something about me, I, I knew I, if, if I can help her, 
I knew I could change more lives, but I didn't know how I did it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't know how I did it. Uh, people in the martial arts say, we teach confidence and discipline. Okay, how do you teach confidence and discipline? I don't know how I did it. So you saw in her you, and yeah. you wanted to be the person to her yeah. that nobody had been for you. Yeah. You don't know what you did, but you took the time, you took the effort, you took the energy to not only connect her, you connected to her as a teacher, yeah. but you specifically tried to connect her to somehow build her up in ways, even if you didn't know exactly the methodology you were using. Yeah, I still talk to her today. She's going to be going to college this year. I think she's going to become a doctor. So that's pretty damn cool. But, um, you know, I didn't know. I'm one of those guys who need to see proof on how to do things. I want to be able to kind of figure out myself, like, how did I take this girl from with no confidence, with confidence? How does that all work? So I was looking on the internet and actually I found this program called Skills Worldwide. That skills deals with um, stages of development in children. So the three and four year olds, five and six year olds, seven, nine year olds, 10 to 14 year olds. Now they're working on a 15 to 19 year old program. We focus on stages of development physically, intellectually, emotionally, and socially. And actually why skills was developed, it was to, originally it was developed to keep a martial arts school's honest about their word. So if you say you're going to teach confidence, you are going to be able to prove how you teach confidence because you're going to have science and psychology to back you up. And I love that concept. So Lexi became your thesis statement and it became your mission to make this a scientifically repeatable experience. How can I do that again? Or, or at least how can I know how, how I did it? Be able to study that and go from there. And now I do a lot of traveling to Tampa to go to these meetings to learn more. And that's how I got my certification as licensed skills child development center and a certified pediatric ninja specialist, which I'm working on my advanced pediatric ninja specialist. I know you think that's funny. It's a pretty catchy name. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great name. I do think it's funny, but I don't it's think weird. it's funny in a, a joke yeah. way. Yeah. I just, it's a catchy, fun name. And it's something that has marketing value. Yeah. And, you know, kids are going to buy into it, which is an important thing, especially yeah. if the end result is it's not just we teach you punchy kicky. You know, yeah. it's also we teach you how to comport yourself. So I think what I learned from Lexi is that I didn't care about the martial art. Like a lot of schools would say if they if we could just if the school would spend more time teaching kids about the martial arts, they would become a better student. I had to do something with Lexi. I had to take a 12 year old, put her in a four to six year old class. That's not traditional. I had to work with whatever Lexi gave me. When I started joining skills, it was all about learning how kids learn. And just because you're a seven, nine year old doesn't mean you are at your current stage of development. So that's why when you join my school, you have to go through a one-on-one -on -one evaluation. If you can pass that evaluation, that means you're at your current stage of development. But if you can't pass that evaluation, it doesn't mean you can't join my school, but we got to put you in a program that your child will succeed in so we can get him back into his current stage of development and then push him beyond that. By stop focusing on the martial art itself and focusing on where the child's at, that really, through my business, you know, skyrocketed up my business up. That was a key right there. And that's what's now has, has taken me off in my area. From your experience, where do you find parents' involvement is in a lot of this? Let's go to your thesis statement, your yeah. proto-student here. 
yeah. Lexi, what was your experience in dealing with their parents? Were they just lost in what to do with her? Were they indifferent? Um, Did they just not see the problem yeah. like your parents were I talked to her. Her mom was Katie, and her mom was very super nice. Her mom had to push Lexi to come to class. I remember Lexi's first time in class. She went back downstairs. She wasn't going to do it. And her mom kept pushing, like, yes, you need to come here. Whether she liked it or not, she needs to come here. And I remember that happened for, you know, the first, I think, week or so. It didn't happen too long. But I think Lexi needed that assurance that she was going to be safe here. With that mom, some parents would just said, okay, we tried. This ain't going to work. And they, and they take off. I get that, too, because sometimes, you know, it's tough to argue with a preteen as well. I, I, yeah, I get that. sometimes. I get if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. I can't speak for Katie, why she pushed her daughter. All I knew that her daughter has been bullied so much that she could not go to public school anymore. She had to do school online. And I believe she graduated online school too. I don't think, I don't think she ever went back. Ever. But you would say that Kate, that Lexi's mom, Katie yeah. was a caring, concerning parent who just lacked answers. And in you found a lifeline. Am yeah. I paraphrasing that in a way? I don't that know. I don't think that she, I don't think that she lacked answers. I, I think she knew this would have been good for her. Lexi had to do this no matter what. And I think at the time when I started my school, we don't like to say cheap, but we like to say affordable. I was the most affordable school in my area. On this podcast, we're happy to say cheap. So <laughs> Kim yeah. was your bargain. Yeah. Honestly, I guess I never asked Katie why she pushed her daughter to keep going. All I knew is that she was bullied and her mom believed that we could teach her confidence. Her mom made her go. I guess let me phrase the question a little bit differently, okay. removing it from Lexi. Yeah. I think part of what you might be doing is you're either, depending on the parent, either yeah. supplementing life skills that a parent should be imbuing into their child, or you might, in fact, be taking over the role from the parent if the parent themselves are not willing or able to fulfill that role. What is your experience from child to child with these parents? Do you find that you are effectively taking part of a parental role in, in teaching these confidence and these skills. Yeah. I, yeah. I get you. Me. Yeah. I do believe there's like in my current school now, majority of my students and parents, we, we, we do, I try to talk to as much people as I can. We have this program called parent skills as well. So however I teach their child on the mat, we teach the parent how to do this at home as well. Does that, does that make sense to you? So you're trying to bridge the gap between the two. You're Correct. trying to instill values and confidence in a child while still taking the parent and instilling in them the ability to relate to the child to help imbue the confidence yeah i mean i can work with their their child you know twice a week and i can try to teach them confidence but the stuff that we teach them on the mat if the parents aren't doing it that way at home well how's that ever going to work it's not going to work it, you know it needs to be consistent so I, the parents need to understand how to do this as well, because they're the ones that are with their kids, you know, 24 seven, I'm with their kids 80 minutes a week and that's it. So I'm trying to teach these kids these skills and I give the parents information for them to go home and do it themselves as well. Because for me, I could care less if the kid gets your black belt. That's not my goal anymore. My first started, oh, my first started my dojo. Yes. I need my kids to be a black belt. We have a black belt club. I need you to get black belt. If your kid comes to me and say their goal, my kid needs more focus. He needs to work on his focus. Okay, great. And eight months down the road, the parents are happy. The kid has better focus and they want to quit. So be it. That's good. We reached a goal. That's perfect. But I noticed a lot of kids who excel in this program are the parents who are involved with me. Like these parents will message me. 
odd hours of the day. They would talk and ask me questions. I'll give them feedback. If I don't know the answers, I'll find somebody that will. You know, and then there's some parents who are just your typical, I'm going to drop my kid off and take, you know, I'm going to go sit out here. Or I'm going to go sit here and go on my phone. We have some of those parents there too, but every kid's different. Every kid's there for a different reason though too. So as far as parent involvement, I guess it kind of depends on what that child originally came for me for. Some kids are just there for working on their physical balance. I mean, I have this one girl, she's eight years old. She can't ride a bike yet. When we did an evaluation, I noticed when she picked up her foot and she just did a simple front kick, when she put her foot down, she had to take like three extra steps backwards because that short, quick second threw her balance way off. Well, it makes sense why she can't ride a bike yet because she has not even developed that balance and coordination. They have a biomechanical thing going on there that's going to take yeah. work. But so does her parents need to be heavily involved in that? Well, probably not. You know, that's not what that person's here for. But I guess it kind of depends on what that kid's here for and how, how we can help that kid meet that goal and possibly exceed that goal as well. And you now have yourself a nice track record of helping people and making a difference in their lives. And that's the satisfaction you couldn't find from your other job, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, I love this. I did this myself at the hospital. The doctor gets all the credit. You know, it's like, hey, man, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have got that while you're in there, <laughs> you know. Thank all you for all, helping all, out. But, but all fairness, though, he's the one that, you know, he's the one that most likely, he's the one that trained me to do this as well, too. So all fairness, he does get the credit. You know, I want something for more for me. I'm not trying to sound, um, what's that word? Arrogant. Arrogant about it. But it feels better when it just comes from you. It's like, you know, like Chef Rush, he makes a great meal. I bet he feels great about it. You know, like he's proud of that meal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I'm proud of what I'm doing with these kids. Since I joined Skills, like kids are just more fun to teach, I think. Plus, you give them more of an impact because now they look up to you as a mentor as well. Adults, I feel like we're more just buds. If you get that feeling, like when you work with adults, you're just buddies. I would like to ask you this because yeah. normally what I would do is ask, like, do you have advice for somebody trying to get into their fitness? I think what you're doing is wonderful and I do hope yeah. that it grows. I feel that it is good to instill confidence in the proper way of maybe learning how to problem solve, the proper way of dealing with the trials and tribulations of life. Because I do feel that for a lot of people, certainly in my generation, we sure as hell weren't taught any of that. Gen X, baby. But what I was going with is normally this is the point where I would ask you, what advice do you have for somebody who's on the couch trying to get their fitness back together? But I don't want to ask you that because I think I can ask you something else that is very important that other people aren't qualified to answer. What advice would you give to any parents listening to this podcast about how to relate to their children, how to instill confidence in their children? What would be something you could say today that would help this parent? Um, first thing is parent skills. Number one is what is your connection with your child? So we have a scale one through five. One is you're not connected at all. Five is you super are very connected. Now, personally, myself with my kids, depending on which one I'm talking to, my level is different, very to each kid. But I would probably say I'm like three and a half to four. Connecting means is how do you communicate with your kids? For instance, if you want your kids to go pick up their room, are you in the kitchen yelling, hey, Johnny, go pick up your clothes in your room? Johnny's out in the living room playing his video games. He could answer back, yeah, but he didn't hear you. Um, by learning how to connect with your kids, go up to your child, get down to their eye level, put your hand on their shoulder, look at them eye to eye and say, hey, Johnny, can you go please pick up your bedroom for me? And go from there. 
to build that confidence up is you got to let them, you got to praise your kids as much as possible, no matter how little it is. And I think one key, and I, and I see this a lot in my school, and actually I started noticing this more in the past uh, year, is I, I, I watch kids perform kicks on the mats or do a form. As a parent, I do this too if my kid is in an activity, and it didn't hit me until I saw a kid's face. A kid broke a board in excitement, looked over at his parent. The parent didn't see it, sitting on their phone. And the kid looked back at me and was like, oh, like the excitement just dropped. I did something and the person that it mattered most for you to see do it didn't see it, didn't acknowledge it and just, they're not there, they're not engaged. And then that was like my first time, like this is like, this this happened this past year. I was like, wow. Being as a parent, if you're sitting on your phone, I know I get your act, I get, you know, even if it's a dance class, whatever, your kid's practicing or gymnastics, I get it to you, it might look boring, but to that kid, it means everything to them. And parents should really be watching their kids do any type of sport um, when they do, because you never know when that kid's going to have a personal achievement. They want you to see it. And when they look over at you for, you know, confirmation and you're on your phone, not paying attention, how is that building confidence in your kid? That's telling your kid that you don't care. That's the obvious interpretation for the yeah, child. Yeah, because he's have, excited. didn't matter. He's like, oh, okay. And just like his demeanor just changed. Sits down quietly. Sits like a black belt, of course. But that's just like, wow. So now what I try to do when I, when I do my evals, I tell parents, no, you know, please watch your kids on the mats. And I tell them the exact same scenario. This is what I saw happen before. Let's not make that happen again. I'm not, I'm not there to tell parents what to do. Can't force them to do what they want to do. My parents, I like to break about my, my parents are, they, they all met me. We go through one, one, one eval. They're all great parents and I love every one of them. But sometimes we miss those key moments that, that we may not think it's a big deal, but our kids do. If you really want to help build your child's confidence up, just be connected to your kid at all times, especially when you're present. I think that would be the biggest you know, help for that child. And I understand life gets to us. I mean, we're, we're busy working adults. We get a text message. I'm not saying that that person was on their phone the whole time. I, I don't know that whole story because uh, I wasn't paying attention to the parent. But at the critical moment, this is what happened. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And it just doesn't matter because at the critical moment, yeah, they weren't there. They weren't there. Um, and that's all that matters from the child's perspective. From that perspective. So if it's possible, like 100% possible, put your phone down, turn it off. I guess some of us are working professionals. We, we're on call. We have to do it. But if, if it's possible, just, just put the phone down. Just give your 100% attention to your child. And I noticed lately, once I started telling parents this, like the past seven months, I know the kids who have success for the parents are watching their kids. I love it when parents text me, well, how did Johnny do today? You know, it's like, that's cool. Because that tells me that you, you care and you care about my point of view as well. You know, and I, I like that. And I do have a lot of parents that do that. And I do appreciate that. But if you want to build confidence with your kid, just be connected with them. Always give them 100% attention when they need it, especially in an activity. And a final question about children and whatnot. I felt in um, the early 2000s, there was this philosophy towards um, everybody gets a trophy. Granted, I'm not a parent, but I was also somebody who was sheltered as a child, so I never had an opportunity to lose. So it became a hard life lesson to learn how to lose things. Where do you fall on that thought? That's a tough question because I go to tournaments where everyone gets a trophy and I, we go to tournaments where you don't get a trophy. I got to think about that question for a bit. 
Because, I guess what I'm because asking because, is, do you well, feel it's a valuable life skill for children to learn early on to take small losses to prepare them to take bigger losses later? I think if tournaments were designed around kids' stages of development, kids don't know what a personal record is. They don't know what a PR is. They don't know what that concept is. Like for adults, you know, I did CrossFit for so many years. I was pumped up when I hit a PR. I felt good. And of course, in the CrossFit games, only like 20 people in the country can make it. I'm not sure on that number totally, but you know, majority of you aren't going to win. So you got to accept a loss. So you don't look at it as a first, second place. You look at it as a personal record. If tournaments can somehow, and I don't know how to, I don't know how this could even work. If they could tailor tournaments to stages of development where kids who understand that type of stuff get those rewards, um, so you get first, second, and third place. Yeah, give those kids a lot of love, but give the kids like a little, but make make the trophies different just so the kid gets to take home something. Because I do also believe, yeah, a kid should also know that if you didn't put the hard work into class, did you honestly deserve that first place versus a kid who practices every day, does what he needs to do, he trains harder? He does deserve that. We shouldn't also discredit that hardworking kid Versus a kid who just shows up, does whatever, goes to the tournament, does whatever, still gets an award. I mean, so I still think if you look at that fact, it's okay for some age groups. For some age groups, I think like, you know, you know, you're 12, 13 years old. I don't think you necessarily need that reassurance. I mean, you lost, you lost. I think we can understand that. But maybe for like the younger kids, they probably can't comprehend that so well right now. So I guess that's your question. It's a yes and a no, depending yes, on the age. Depending on the age. Yeah. Fair enough. So any final thoughts? Anything you would like to say or leave with uh, the listeners? No, I guess my final thoughts is if you're looking into a martial arts school, one thing that at least my school does and what a lot of martial arts school uh, does that no other sport can do is that we develop skills in your child where most sports like say soccer, baseball, they utilize those current skills in your child. So I know this from my own personal experience playing, trying to get into um, elementary, like high school sports. If you sucked at sports, you, you sat on the bench. Um, did they work with you? No, because you suck. They, they want the kids who are good. <laughs> in martial arts, no, you can do whatever you want. If you want to compete in a tournament, you can do that. I mean, if you lose, that's a lesson to learn from. And now we can go back and we can get you better. So martial arts, you're always on the floor. Soccer, baseball, there's places you got to try out. If you stink at it, you're sitting on the bench. I mean, I played softball for my, for my Knights of Columbus softball team. I, I still suck at sports. And guess where I sit when I play softball with them? I sit on the bench. <laughs> I still, I mean, I don't play with them anymore once I, started, once I started my martial arts school. Martial arts, we develop the skills for your kids to utilize in the future. And I think... I wish there was an easier way to show parents that, but parents still view martial arts as a basic activity like baseball and soccer, and that's not true at all. So my goal, my mission, and with Eric's mission is I'm going to, with that knowledge, I want to take that on a national level and start somehow promoting that more and to make a difference in these kids who were like me, who stuck at sports. And we're the kids that sit on the bench. We're the kids that don't get picked. You're not good enough to be quarterback because you can't throw the ball that well. With martial arts, you always get that training. There's, you know, you learn from your friends, you learn from your peers, because you're you're actually you know because you're paying to be trained, and you can compete at any time you want. That's my final thought. Cool. Well, Tim, where can people find you when they're not finding you here? 
in our office. Yeah, when I'm not out in LA, you can find me in a small town Mankato. I say small because it's small in LA. Mankato's 50,000 people. I mean, what isn't smaller than LA aside from yeah. New York? 50,000 people in Mankato, Minnesota. My school is called Cato Karate. We're a licensed skills child development center where um, we focus on your child, not on the martial art, but we use martial arts as a tool to help build these skills. Instagram, TikTok, what are yeah, your socials? Uh, my socials on Instagram is Kato Karate MN. Uh, TikTok, I believe it's just Kato Karate. Or is it Kato Karate MN? I honestly don't know what TikTok is. I think just start with Kato Karate. You'll see Kato Karate Pediatric Ninja Specialist logo on that TikTok channel. Any other uh, web pages, anything? Yes, my website is KatoKarateMN.com. Awesome. Tim, thank you. Thanks. And as for me, I am the fittest fat kid you know, and here I am on location for once. Or the second time, who knows, I get around. But if you want to find me on the socials, I'm at TikTok, I'm at Instagram, I am at Twitter, it's at Fittest Fat Kid, or at Bruce Naxon now, because I'm kind of switching them over because I'm going to be starting a second podcast in the near future. Look out for that. And of course, if you've got a question or concern, if you have an issue with your fitness and you don't have anyone to talk to and you'd like to throw out a question, throw it at me. Who knows what I'll do with it? And you can do that at hi there at fittestfatkid.com. Wherever you are hearing this or watching this or whatever you're doing with this, please leave me a like, subscribe, leave me a comment. Let me know what you thought. If you thought anything, I hope you did. But anyway, no matter who you are, where you are, or what you're doing, hold yourself accountable, but do it with kindness and understanding. And I'll talk to you next week.